And now what we're doing is we're committing to follow him and learning what it means to follow him, learning what it means to live inside of his love and his grace and his truth for the rest of our lives. We're declaring that we want to make him central and go on the adventure and the journey of figuring out what that means and what that looks like. And so baptism is one of the most powerful moments in a Christian's life. And so I'm very excited to be uh, baptizing four friends today. We're going to hear from each of them, uh, well, for three of them this morning, and then um, Tristan is going to be sharing his baptism out at Kokanee Creek, his baptism testimony out at Kokanee Creek. But I'm going to invite each of them up in turn, and um, we're going to hear from them kind of a little bit about their story and why they decided to be baptized today, and then we'll pray for each of them. And um, this is just so important, and I really hope you hear the hearts behind these testimonies, because these are uh, people who are not doing this reactively. They are not doing, they have taken a long and measured reflection on what it means to be baptized. And so this is not something that's impulsive. Uh, this really represents people saying, I, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. I might not know everything, but what that means, but I know enough to say yes to Jesus. So I'm going to invite Israel to come up. But if, if you're done first, then you can go and relax for the rest of the time. So it's kind of like, it's a, it's a little blessing. Here, use this. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so Israel, can you just introduce yourself? Tell the people a little bit about yourself for those who might not know you and okay. kind of what you're passionate about. I'm Israel. I'm 11 years old and I like horses. And? Star Wars. Thank and you. Okay, that's good. And? Harry Potter. And Harry Potter. And, and God. And God. Okay, so you kind of covered all the bases, so we know that you have a strong, thriving, vibrant family life, that all those influences are in your life. That's very good. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got connected to this church. This so community. I moved to Nelson in August 2015, so last year, and my grandparents, Joe and Karen, they went to this church. And so we just sort of came with them. And I also have a few friends, Lauren and Julia, who also go here. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason. Yeah, that's awesome. And can you share with us why you've decided to be baptized today? Okay. Okay. So um, I'm going to get baptized because sort of because I'm feeling like God just everywhere in my life. And I just wanted to like declare that to everyone. That I'm just, that I'm following Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I know in talking to your parents and seeing the influence that you've had on my daughter and different people, that you really do have a strong and growing faith. And this has been something you've been asking to be baptized for a while, and your parents have kind mm-hmm. of been like, let's just wait and make sure that you're ready and you understand the gravity of it. And it's been great to connect with you around that. And so we're really excited for you. Can I pray for you? Yeah. God, I thank you for this young woman, and I pray that as she takes this very public um, act of faith and uh, response in obedience to you, that this day, uh, being surrounded by her church family, her family, friends, surrounded by your love and grace, God, that you would just cement so many pictures and, and good memories from this day into her heart, that this would be a day that um, she would remember forever, that it would just bless her heart, and that you would use her baptism as a testimony to many, that she would walk in faithfulness all the days of her life, that she would strive to follow you 
moving through the teenage years, uh, which are often uh, rough and rocky, but that she would make you her cornerstone as we just sang about. Pray and ask for a blessing on her today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Israel. Yeah, we can clap and applaud. And now I'd like to invite Amy up. you've kind of prepared a whole statement, so I'll just stand to the side. Hi, I'm Amy Robertson. I am originally from the Nelson area, and I lived here until I graduated high school, and I ventured out a couple times and came back, and then eventually moved to Lethbridge in, um, oh, I wrote the wrong date, but 2005. I lived there for nine years, um, and then my husband, Scott, and I decided to start having children, and we decided Nelson was the best place to raise them. Um, So we came back. I used to go to church when I was younger with my grandmother. And in my teenage years, I started to drift away from the church and then fully stopped going. As none of my friends were in the church and I found a lot of negative distractions. While I always felt that God was still in my heart and attempting to guide me back to the church, I never went back. Still many values that I held throughout my life came from God. And I was always quick to feel guilt when I did something I knew he would disapprove of. But I would just push the shame down in my heart. When I moved back to Nelson, I had just had my second child. I was attempting to sell my first house with no success, and I had also purchased a house that required a lot of renovations to make it livable. With my husband working long hours, the pressure of all these things got to me, and I fell into a depression. It was at this time that I really started to feel the need to have God in my life again. I started to read my Bible again, and I was watching some religious preachers on TV. That summer, my cousin passed away, and I went to her service at the Covenant Church in Balfour. I really enjoyed being at the church, and even though it was for a sad occasion, I felt like I wanted to keep coming back there, and I started looking into different churches. I found that the Covenant Church had a branch in Nelson, and I contacted Pastor Jeff to find out information about coming. I have since felt a definite movement of the love of God into my life. I still have my daily struggles as I'm finding my place, But I'm glad to be here today to accept God into my life through the act of baptism and rebirth myself into a life where I can strive to be more Christ-like. Thank you, Amy. Let me pray for you. God, it's been really encouraging for me to be able to sit down with Amy and hear how you've been drawing her slowly um, and lovingly gently, patiently towards yourself Um, and to be able to stand here today and later to be able to baptize her is just a true joy and I thank you for uh, the softness of her heart to be listening to that voice um, and her decision to not keep suppressing it um, but to welcome you and all that you have for her I pray for a blessing on her on her marriage, on her family on her future God as she Uh, has yielded her life to you and surrendered all things to you, God. Would you uh, show yourself strong in her situation? Would you bless her? Would you uh, just continue to lead her into a place place of flourishing in all the areas of her life, God? And may today, especially, again, may she have an acute sense of your presence and your love and your grace over her life. Um, We thank you for her and we thank you for her testimony and we commend her to your care in Jesus' name. Thank you. And I'm going to call Blair up, who's going to invite. Uh, 
our final baptism testimony. Awesome. Okay. So as uh, Jeff mentioned, we have two more. Uh, Jordan's going to come up and share in a bit, and Tristan's going to be sharing out at uh, Coconut Creek. The reason for that is because Tristan, you know, he has a lot of roots in both this congregation and the Balfour congregation. So he's going to share his testimony out there where um, both congregations can come together and, uh, and witness that. So we encourage you to come on out. But I'm going to invite Jordan up. And uh, she looks a little bit nervous, but I know that something that helps when you're nervous is when somebody brags about you up front. So I'm just going to say that it's been an awesome year uh, for me to be able to witness Jordan's growth and uh, to be able to just see her go to Ecuador and to just um, make all these leaps and bounds in her faith. And it's, so it's really exciting that this is, uh, that it's uh, come to being baptized today. And so Jordan has her testimony, so I'm going to get out of the way so that she can have the spotlight. You ready? All right, here we go. Okay. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Jordan Crawford. I'm 15. I was originally born into a non-Christian family. My parents didn't have good jobs and did drugs on the weekend. Um, My parents, yeah. After three years, my mom left, and social services showed up at our door two years later. They thought that my dad was unfit to take care of me, so they gave me a teddy bear and stuffed me in a car headed to a foster home. I had no idea what was happening. I got there, and the family I was to stay with was Christian. It was there that I first learned about God. I was with my new family for only a few months because my grandma was able to get court papers that gave her full custody of me. And that meant that I could continue learning about God. I went to Sunday school every week and learned everything I could. I clung to God because he was the only thing in my life then that was positive. It was because of him that my life was taking a better turn. A few years later, my grandma remarried, and we moved here. I had just turned eight. It was that year that I started school at NCCS. One day, we were talking about how we can accept Jesus into our lives. The teacher asked us if we wanted to. So me and a few other students said yes, and for me, that was the beginning of my walk with him. Since then, I have seen things that should be impossible, and I have heard his voice. There was this one time at the Army of Love Vacation Bible School where we were driving and we we got lost. I prayed and asked God to show me the way, and he responded by by telling me when to turn and which way. A few twists and turns later, we drove into the Bethel Church parking lot. Just this past year, I've had the privilege of going to Ecuador on a missions trip. While I was there... I got to see how devoted the people were to a God that they could not see. They may not have everything that we do, but they don't care because God provides for them and he's there for them to lean on. They don't carry their burdens alone. They give their troubles to him and he helps them carry on. It made me realize that I was trying to carry my past alone and that I need to fall on, on God. So when I do stumble, I need him to be there for me.
I cannot do this alone. This is why I need to be baptized. I've gone as far as I can take my faith on my own. In order to take the next step, I need God to help me. It is my desire to follow Jesus all of my life with his help and guidance. Thank you, Jordan, for sharing. I'm just going to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for Jordan. I thank you for her amazing testimony and just how you've been working in her life. And it's been such a privilege to to just watch watch her grow, Lord, and um, and just see her eagerness to proclaim her faith in you and being baptized today. And so we pray your blessing on her on this day of celebration and that today would be um, just like a milestone in her life, Lord, that she'd be able to look back and, and with joy and, and know that you were here and that you moved uh, you moved in her life. Amen. I like to share a baptism, a story of baptism from the Bible, whenever there is a baptism, ideally. Sometimes I teach on baptism, but I really felt like uh, today I wanted to share a story, and one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture about baptism. I think it really brings Jesus into focus. I think it brings baptism into focus. I think it shows us the unique um, symbol of what baptism is and what it points to. So if uh, you can open up in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. For some of you, this may be a lesser-known story. It's not necessarily preached on very much. Um, It's a story about a disciple named Philip. This takes place after Jesus has died and been resurrected, and the Spirit has been poured out at Pentecost. So this is one of the very first, earliest stories of um, some of the disciples going out and encountering people into the world, sharing the message of Jesus with people who had never heard about Jesus, and then those people responding in faith. And so it's one of the earliest baptism stories that we have recorded in the early church. I'm going to read it and then uh, teach through it. Acts 8, verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, Who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, 
but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. The setup for this story comes in verse 27. We're introduced to an Ethiopian eunuch. That tells us a lot about this person. It's a foreigner, someone from non-Jewish descent, who has been castrated. And that means this is already the most awkward baptism message you will ever hear. But this is actually really, really important to the story because kings of the day, and certainly not Jewish kings, but foreign kings, demanded castration for any men overseeing either the king's harem or working closely with the, with the queen. It was a way to ensure that there was no uh, threat via an affair to interfere with royal lineage. So any man that was working in close proximity to the king's queen was to become a eunuch. Uh, that was just part of the uh, job requirements. And of course, if you're a eunuch, that means you have no prospect for children. And that's a huge deal in a first century context. We, in our cultural context, tend to... Um, we believe that individual glory and individual accomplishment is kind of the highest form of accomplishment. And that's the kinds of things that we tend to celebrate. But 2,000 years ago, in a Middle Eastern context, it's the glory of the family. Individual accomplishment is secondary to the accomplishment of the entire family. So you take pride in your family's name and in your family's reputation. That's what establishes social standing. That's what establishes your reputation. So without children, without a family, without lineage, without grandchildren and this family line, you can't actually produce a, a foundation for social standing. You can't produce a foundation for glory, something to glory and something to be proud of and say, that's my legacy. Look at, look at the strong family. Look at the strong lineage and, and see what we've accomplished as a family. So an individual in the first century who has no prospects for children, that's a curse. I mean, that's the, it's the worst of the worst. That's why so much of the Old Testament, there's so much lament for the barren woman who can't bring forth children. Because 2,000 years ago, glory and fame were family-based, not individually-based. And, so, and children were the way that you contributed to, to a society. That's how you built the nation's military. That's how you built the nation's economy. So without children, how were you going to make any kind of a real difference? And the answer was you weren't. And so this is a man, as an Ethiopian eunuch, this is a man with no hope for his future. He has no hope for a legacy. He has no hope for any kind of social status. Or he's never going to be remembered by anyone, including the king he served. And in verse 27, it says, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He was a spiritual seeker. He was interested in the God of the Jews, who he had certainly read about. He got, has his hands on a scroll from Isaiah. He's investigating. He's, he's gone to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. But we know what happens when he got there. He was not allowed to worship in the temple. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1 says, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. 
He's gone to Jerusalem to worship and to investigate the true and living God, and he's found out that his, because of what's been done to him, he's cut off forever from an intimate worship of God. He, he's not going to be able to get close to God. There were uh, sections of the temple, uh, certain people based on uh, uh, ritual cleanliness could move into closer towards the center. Men could go closer than women. And it was a way to visually remind people that you, this, this God of the Jews, this Yahweh is a holy God. And not just anybody can go into his presence. But he wasn't even allowed in the Gentile courts, which was the outer limits. So he had been reinforced. He had literally been excluded and shut off. And you see the temple from a distance, but it's here and no further. You're never going to have intimacy with this God because of what's been done to you. So he's an outsider in terms of having a relationship with God. And there's no reason, there's no logical reason for him to presume that would ever change. Because of what's been done to him, because of who he is, he's been sentenced to worship and seek God from afar, but knowing that it's only going to be so close and then no further. He's going to be a perpetual outsider for the rest of his life. Have you ever had something done to you that made you feel disqualified from having any kind of an intimate relationship with God? Has something ever happened to you that um, had such a formative, negative power in your life that you thought, oh, because of this, I'll never be clean. I'll never be able to access God. Or have you ever done something or a series of things and you look at those things and those things haunt you and you think, because of the, God would never accept me because of those things. I might be okay in certain areas, but this thing that happened to me or these things that I've done, they automatically disqualify me from intimacy with God, from walking with God. I'll never be able to enter the Holy of Holies. I'll never be able to use language like a relationship with God or being close to God because of this. And if, and if either of those situations are things that haunt you and that you wonder about. You, you have an, a bit of an emotional end to where this Ethiopian eunuch was coming from. That's how he thinks. Because of what's been done to me, I'm now ritually unclean. I'm cut off from the presence and the power of God. We know the eunuch was rich. He has a personal copy, maybe the king's copy that he was allowed to borrow, but he has access to a scroll of Isaiah probably two of them. I they think that Isaiah was so big it was probably first and second Isaiah. He, you know, 2,000 years ago you didn't get God's word like this. All of it in your own language uh, completely accessible and you can transport it anywhere. This is a luxury the vast majority of Christians have never had uh, for most of history. There's Christians all over the world who would uh, give up almost everything to have access to this. Um, Scrolls were expensive to produce. They were expensive um, to obtain. They were very, very rare. So this is someone who has at least access. If he's, if he's not directly wealthy, he has access to a lot of wealth. But he's still seeking God because somewhere in him, he realizes prosperity without Jesus, prosperity without God is still poverty. All the, all the trappings of peace, he swims in circles of power. He swims in circles of influence. But that hasn't been enough. He's seeking the living God. 
Because he's come to understand that prosperity without God is still poverty. So verse 30, Philip asks him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Isaiah's kind of a confusing book. It's weird. Like, do you kind of see what's going on? And he says, no, I need, I need someone to explain it to me. How am I supposed to understand? How am I supposed to make heads or tails of this? So they find out that he's reading a passage from Isaiah chapter 53. And it's a passage that the Ethiopian has been probably pondering for some time because it focuses on someone who the text doesn't name, but it's someone who's been humiliated. It's someone who's been deprived of justice. It's someone who has no descendants. And it's someone whose life has been taken from them. And that maybe now you're seeing what is going on in the Ethiopian's heart. Maybe he's read all the way through very quickly to Isaiah 53, but when he gets to Isaiah 53 on this part, he stops. Because whoever this passage is talking about, this Ethiopian eunuch is like, this is my story. Who is this person? Every single one of these things that this person has to endure, this is, this is my life. This is, whoever this is, this is someone who understands what I've had to go through. They understand the particular pain and heartache that I've had to endure. I've been humiliated. I've been deprived of justice. I'll have no descendants. In many ways, my life and my legacy feels like it's been taken from me. Whoever this person is, they understand the unique shape of my brokenness and the unique shape of my shame. And he wants to find out who this is. And so Philip begins with this passage of Scripture and he tells him the good news about Jesus. He says, this passage was written 600 years ago and it's pointing to Jesus. And he tell, shares the gospel with him, that the second person of the Trinity, God becomes human beings, drawing, drawing near to us, Emmanuel, God with us, to show us how to live and to rescue us. The cross, the atonement, God rescued us from the penalty of sin and shame, taking our punishment, exchanging what we should have, have we should have been condemned and judged. And God puts himself in our place and then gives us his blessing and his righteousness and his forgiveness and then crown new creation. This is hot on the heels of the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's the king. He's been, he's been ascended and enthroned in the heavens and he sent his spirit upon his disciples to be emissaries into the world and to proclaim this good news that through his life and death and resurrection, the kingdom of God is breaking forth and lost sinners and broken people and lost causes can find healing and hope and eternal life in Jesus. As they were traveling along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Do you, do you hear the, that's an actual question, right? It's not really rhetorical. He is wondering if there is a reason why he's not allowed to become a Christian. Because he just had the experience of going to Jerusalem and saying, and uh, experiencing with the totality of his personhood, no, because this has been done to you, because if this is who you are, you are not allowed to enter in to the family of God, as it was understood by the Jewish people at the time. So he's excited. He wants to be baptized. There's water, but now there's a hesitancy. Is there anything, Philip, hypothetically, that could keep me from not being baptized? Is there, is, is there a rule, like, if you're ritually unclean, if you're not, you don't have it all together, like, 
Are you not allowed to become a Christian? Is there anything that does stop me from being baptized? Can I be included in God's family even though I'm ritually unclean, even though I'm damaged? Does my castration mean that I'm cut off from this perfect and holy God, this amazing Jesus, his love and his grace? And Philip tells him, no, there's nothing to prevent you. Jesus takes the ritually unclean and he makes them clean. There's no one too damaged. There's no lost causes. There's no one who's too far from God. There's no one whose history is too dark. Jesus' Jesus's grace and love and forgiveness can cover over anything. And because of what he's done, anybody can be a part of his family simply by receiving him. Like Paul writes in Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation, your past, your past sins, um, nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, Ethiopian eunuch, nothing stands in the way between you and Jesus. So he gives orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So the eunuch puts his faith in Jesus, he's baptized, he comes up out of the water, he has a new identity, he's now a Christian, a follower of Jesus, he has a new story, he's now gone through the waters of baptism, which harkens to the Exodus story, where God took a a group of people who were slaves, and whose identity was rooted in slavery, and they are slaves, that's all they'll ever be, and God says, no, I'm going to make you into a royal nation, and a holy priesthood, and I'm going to rescue you, take you through the waters of the Red Sea, lead you into the promised land, I'm going to give you a new mission, you're going to be my people into the world, bringing hope and healing and redemption into every sphere of creation. I'm going to use you and redeem you for that purpose. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch rises to out of the water. That's what all the baptizees today are rising to out of the water. A new identity and a new story and a new mission. And so this story is one of my favorites because it presents a clear and powerful picture of the significance of baptism. And we haven't even gotten to the best part of the story yet. Let me show you how cool God is. So you have to kind of, in your mind's eye, play out, by conjecture, yes, but play out the rest of what's happening here. Philip baptizes the eunuch. It says something supernatural happened. Philip leaves. Hope that doesn't happen to me this afternoon. Uh, Philip leaves. The eunuch is now a Christian. He goes back in the chariot. He's new life. He starts reading the scroll of Isaiah through a new lens, right? Still, of course, he's going to keep reading the scroll of Isaiah. That's the book of the Bible he has. He's just become a Christian. What, okay. Chapter 53 was about Jesus. What, what's left? And he's going to keep reading. And he's going to get to Isaiah chapter 56 in a few minutes. It won't take him too long. And this is what he's going to read. This is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them everlasting, I will give them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. 
and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my offer, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So God is saying to this eunuch, you know what the world took away from you, I'm just going to reverse that. I'm going to give it all back. Joel 2.25, the prophet Joel at one point says to Israel, God says through Joel, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. You've had darkness in your past. I'm not just going to forgive the past. I'm not just going to remember your sins no more and give you a new future. I'm going to take the darkness and negative momentum and the things that were stolen from you and I'm going to put those into the future ahead of you. I'm going to repay you. And see, that's amazing because that wasn't, that's not something that just this eunuch gets. That, that's everybody who turns their life over to Jesus. He can repay us for the years that the locusts in our lives have eaten. The drugs, the abuse, the hurt, the depression, the purposelessness, the wandering, the malicious actions of other people, the betrayals, all of it. But before I close, I want you to really see Jesus in the story. And for some of us, we're like, I think it's kind of obvious Jesus is in the story. This is a story centered on baptism. Jesus is front and center, and he is. But there's a less obvious way that Jesus reveals himself in this encounter. You know, when I think about the eunuch's story and his background and all the shame and doubt and disappointment that's in his heart, and I think about Philip, what Philip would have shared in that encounter. You know, I wonder if at some point in sharing the gospel message with this Ethiopian eunuch, the Holy Spirit helped Philip to kind of see some of these overlapping things between the passage in Isaiah, the eunuch's experience, the experience of Jesus. You know, I wonder if part of this conversation goes like this. Philip says to the Ethiopian, you know, my friend, the kings you serve demand that your body be broken and mutilated in order that through your brokenness, the king benefits. That's the kind of kings you've known. But I'm here to tell you about a different king. I'm here to tell you about a, a better king. And I'm actually here to tell you about the true king. This is a king who doesn't demand that your body be broken, that your body be mutilated for his benefit. This is a king who allows his own body to be broken his own body to be mutilated for your benefit. And this is a king who through that act allows you to receive by faith and take possession of an eternal inheritance that no one can ever take away. And by placing their trust in this King Jesus, that same eternal inheritance now belongs to Jordan, and Tristan, and Israel, and Amy. Let us give thanks to God and worship our King. God, we love you. We love how you overwhelm places of loss and brokenness and sinfulness and redeem them, God, 
We thank you for stories of people who have said yes to you and who want to go on the journey of knowing who you are, allowing who you are to rub off on them, to, to be your hands and feet in this world. May you confirm them with a special blessing today, God, into their new identity, new mission, a new purpose in you, God. As we gather um, at the beach this afternoon, as we uh, baptize these brothers and sisters, may you be glorified. May all of our hearts here who've turned, those of us who have turned our hearts over to you, may we be um, impacted once again by the gospel and by your glory. For those who are standing and watching and who don't know you, may they get a glimpse of a God who is good and a God who redeems and a God who repays what the locusts have eaten. We give you all the praise and glory, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise as we wait.